Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. In this car with this tiny little trailer with a few things, because really it was a, we didn't have much in our, in that area. And he turns and he looks at us and he says, okay, so at the time I'm 12, my older brother is 15 and my younger brother is nine. And it's the three of us, our dog and my dad. And my dad says to me, all of us, let's take a vote. Do you guys want to move somewhere where it's warm all the time? Or do you want to move somewhere where there's three seasons? So this gives you a glimpse into how crazy our life was. And so at that time, my oldest brother, again, is 15, decides, hey, I want to go somewhere where it's sunny all the time. And then I raise my hand, I, I want to go somewhere where there's four seasons. I like the four seasons. So my younger brother, who is nine, is the decision maker it all in on this. Him. He's the tiebreaker. All on him. Nine. Yeah. Dr. Rob Bell, he's nine. This podcast, 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness, is brought to you by our sponsor, SOS Rehydrate. It's an organic drink mix as effective as an IV drip. It's proven by science and used by elite athletes because only the best will do for elite athletic performance. So for all your hydration needs, our listeners today get 15% off if you enter the code mental toughness at INeedSOS.com. This episode is brought to you by Some Sleep. Go to getsome.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-M.com. We all deserve a better night's sleep. You drink one can 30 minutes before bed, and it's that simple. This awesome blend lets you not only fall asleep fast, but then wake up feeling absolutely refreshed, not hungover or foggy. You're going to absolutely love this product. And in fact, if you go to getsome.com and enter in the promo code Dr. Rob Bell, D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L, you get 10% off. Guarantee you're going to love this product. Go there right away. Our guest today on 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness, this is, um, it's not the first mom I have, but it's the first mom where that distinction uh, is, is special to this. So she actually reached out to me because she listened to the podcast and uh, I was enamored by that I was actually this is a Saturday morning wasn't having a good day she sent me this email about how the podcast affected her and how it's like she loved it and I was like wow that's great and then to that email there's a clip of her and I'm not going to give it away but I, I will in a second so our guest today she's uh she's a 43 year old mother of three which is absolutely important so she's been a, a physical ed, ed teacher for over 20 years uh, she's been a judo champion, and then she actually played basketball at Gonzaga University. Um, the reason why I bring up the mother and how this link was important is because she became the first mom to ever complete the American Ninja Warrior course, and that link is going to be up there for everyone to be able to watch it. When I watched it, I was inspired. It has, she's inspired so many people. And I'm so excited to uh, have her on the uh, the show today, Sandy Zimmerman. Sandy, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for having me on. Um, the podcast has absolutely 
uh, changed my life, listening to the stories that you shared from other people. And so now to think that, oh my gosh, I'm actually on Dr. Rob Bell's show and getting to share my story and that I might just have a little bit of an impact on someone listening. It is absolutely mind-blowing to be here with you. And I'm so grateful. Well, that's awesome. So I guess about four years ago, you're just scrolling the TV. Um, you've always been an athlete, but then you saw American Ninja Warrior, right? And with your family. And then talk about the process, but then what happened next? Well, we never do this, but we were channel surfing and my oldest son, uh, says, hey, what's that? And I turned and looked over and it was American Ninja Warrior. And it really started innocently with just the thought of, boy, that looks really fun. And then I thought I could really think I could do this if I trained and it would be a, a, a inspiration for my students. And so it really started innocently like that, but so much has come from this journey, um, way beyond the innocence that it started with then. And so we just kind of got out there in nature at first, and we would jump on things and climb on things. We would go down to parks and playgrounds, and we would use equipment as it was not intended <laughs> and just make things kind of ninja-like. And we quickly discovered that first it was just such a blast, and it was so bonding for me to do that with my kids. And it's just something when you put yourself out there doing something a little scary and a little challenging that changes you. And I was starting to see those already uh, right from the beginning with me, with my kids. And so we just grabbed on and ran with it. We started building obstacles in the backyard and I decided to apply for the show and I got the call and it's just been a crazy fun journey since that day. And so, I mean, there's just so many different facets I think we could take with this. But I mean, <laughs> I guess let's um, let's start with the bonding of the family. So, I mean, your family is all involved with what you do, and and they're doing it themselves. Um, you know, I mean, I think that's why we love sport, isn't it? Because I mean, we can all come together over sport. I mean, we we all speak the same language when it comes to that. I mean, can you talk about? being a mom and just sharing that experience and, and those life lessons that you kind of spoke about in, um, you know, what's, what's that, what's that meant to you? Yeah. Well, you know, I am passionate about health and fitness, but I, the part that have really gets me excited is the social aspect of this is that when we are in sports and with Ninja, it's something really special because I have done traditional sports. I've done non-traditional. So I grew up just trying all different types of sports. But one thing that has been so incredible about Ninja is that it is so bonding. I don't know if it's one of those things where you're like going into the fire together and we're trying to tackle these really hard obstacles. And oftentimes, and most of the time, um, it's all learned by trial and error. So here you are supporting each other, encouraging each other. You know, we celebrate not just success getting an obstacle, but maybe getting a little further or maybe overcoming some kind of fear that you had with that obstacle. And so there's just so many good things that come into this. And so as a family, the first thing I noticed is that we were just something incredible happens when you play with a child. And when I'm out there with my kids and I'm on obstacles, 
we are just having so much fun together creating great memories. So then we took it a, a step further and doing it in the backyard, but out traveling to ninja gyms and getting to experience the sport and then getting to do leagues and competitions together and making just this a fun family trip. So we do ninja, but then we would make fun family trips out of it and we would see that city. I mean, we've experienced and seen so many things in life, uh, you know, but some of my favorite things are definitely life lessons. Um, you know, seeing those things of grit and determination and perseverance. I mean, those are good for ninja, but they are good for life. We need those because we're all going to face obstacles, no matter who you are, where you come from, what you've been through, that I, I want my kids to have those skills. When life does knock them down, that they have the confidence to go, yeah, I've struggled with something. I've had a hard time. I've been knocked down by it, whatever. But I have the confidence because I know I ha I've done this before. I've been knocked down and I've been able to get myself back up. And I've seen that again and again in our backyard. Um, you know, I could tell you stories and stories about my own kids. And um, one with Lindsay that is one of my favorites um, is we have what are called devil steps in our backyard. Mm -hmm. And it is one of the most grueling um, upper body obstacles. And so for months, all last summer, uh, she started on that first step and she couldn't even get up to the, the next one. And she'd hang there and hang there and she kept trying and trying. So finally she'd get one. And, and she, this was over three month period all last summer. And then she'd get up two and it'd take a long few more weeks and then she'd get up three. And then I remember one day I'm sitting in the kitchen doing the dishes after dinner and she was out, our window looks out onto our ninja fortress and she's back on those devil steps. And I remember just thinking, oh, like part of you as a mother wanted to just protect her, like quit struggling with this. I've watched you struggle with this for three months. Like it's good, Lindsay, you're good. But she just kept at it and I'm so glad I didn't stop her because an incredible thing happened. She got up those steps and she got up all the way and I see her hanging there and I hear this loud, I did it. And I thought, oh my goodness, she is so stinking proud of herself right now. And had I protected her and had I, you know, not let her struggle through that, she wouldn't have learned that lesson of perseverance and grit and that, hey, I can stick with something over a long period of time and a cool thing will happen eventually at the end if I can do that. So I could tell you story after story like that, but those are definitely um, my favorite. And so with that, I mean, even as a, as a parent right now, you can use that for life to be able to remind her about that and no matter what's the situation going to be, right? Oh, I've brought that up many times when something's hard. Like, remember those devil steps? That's right. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Maybe that'll be your nickname someday. Who knows? <laughs> so in um, you spoke about before you actually took um, the course you talked about having these two voices that have always been there. Mm. And I think we always have them, right? We have that negative voice and that positive voice or, you know, and, and it's, can you talk about that experience and then how you, how did you deal with that and how did you overcome that? Mm -hmm. Well, I remember when we were driving to go to the Tacoma Dome and I'm by myself in the car. The rest of the family was going to come later because I had to get there early. And I turned the radio off and just driving in silence by myself that morning and thinking about what is it that I want to do today? What is it that I want to accomplish? What are my goals? And, you know, when I first started this crazy journey, the big goal, the big dream was I wanted to be the first mom to hit a buzzer. But sitting in the car that day and part of it was listening to your podcast is that my big goal 
was to navigate the voices in my head. I thought if, if nothing else, if I go out on the first obstacle, if I make it through the entire course and I do hit the buzzer, my goal today is to be able to navigate those voices. And, and this has been a huge struggle for me and I am still learning to navigate these voices, but I feel like I am getting better at it the more I put myself out there. But I definitely, I have this one voice in my head that is this scared, timid, quiet, shy little girl uh, who grew up on welfare and spent time in the foster care system. And then I have this other voice in my head that is this 43-year-old, strong, confident, badass woman that I have become. And I struggle between those two voices. Um, but I do feel like I have made progress on listening to the correct voice more often. So driving um, to the American Ninja Warrior set that morning, it was just in silence saying, just help me, just help me navigate these voices. And I don't care whatever else happens, that's my goal today. And so going into this, it's funny because they have you, so there's like a starting area or kind of like a holding pin and you feel like it's forever. You know, you talk about icing someone before they shoot like a free throw in basketball. It almost is that feeling where you're sitting backstage behind these steps that lead up to the platform. And so I'm sitting back there and again, I'm thinking, what is the goal today? What is the goal today? The first goal that goes along with the listening to the right voices is I wanted to just stay in the moment. Sandy, don't think about the end product. Stay in this moment and think about just the process with each obstacle. And you can see it when you watch me run is each obstacle. I didn't go fast, but here, here's this, the reason why is as I would get up there, I would look at the obstacle and go, okay, we're stay, just think about the process. I want to go right, left, right, left, grab the rope, swing. And that was all I wanted to think about. And the other goal was to listen to the right voice. And I remember sitting back there and I'm having this conversation and it's so funny because I'm going, it, it, navigating these conversations, that is such a huge part of this journey for me. And I want to get better at this. And I thought, you know, no matter what happens, I will leave better because I have put myself out there. So I got, I remember just this little smirk right before they told me to go up the stairs and I got this little smirk on my face and I thought, I think today I'm gonna listen to the right voice. I think today's I'm gonna listen to the right voice. So as I got up there, it was just process, process, process. What is it I need to do this first obstacle? And then I get to the next one. Okay, stay in the moment. What is it that I need to do for this next obstacle? And um, that was the key for me. I honestly never once thought about being the first mom to hit a buzzer, any part of that run, until I got on that wharf wall. And when I grabbed the top, I was like, this is happening. This is happening. I knew I had a good grip on the wall. And then people see me flex. And that was the first part where I was like, I did it. I listened to the right voice today. I have stayed in the frame of mind of listening to the process, not the product. And I knew at that point, that was what I celebrated. That flex uh, was that moment when I thought, I did it. I cannot believe that I've, from where I've come from to where I am right now, I, I dream this big dream. And I always feel like, you know, people dream big dreams, but it's everybody else that that happens to. So to have it like, this is happening to me. But that was the big moment when I finally was like, I really am going to be the first mom to hit that buzzer. So um, such a process mentally. Um, but man, oh man, when you put yourself out there, it's incredible what can happen. And that's becoming like 
your move, isn't it? Like you grab that, <laughs> they, you grab that warp wall, and then it's just that flex. I, I would really like to trademark that. No, it's so cute. And that's one really cool thing that's come from this, too, is I have been getting pictures of kids getting warp walls and flexing or kids that take classes that will come and do ninja with me in the backyard, and they'll get the warp wall and turn around and flex. And I cannot tell you how much that means to me to see those. Boy, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting about the voice because, I mean, we all have it, right? And I think a lot of times we just act like it's not there or that mm -hmm. can't affect us, but it is there. And, like, a lot of times I think we're trying to, you know, you put it eloquently because I've always said sometimes we need to tell ourselves rather than just listen to ourselves. So I think mm -hmm. when we're listening, you know, it, it's tough to decipher which voice that we have to listen to. But, you know, I might have to tweak my philosophy on that. So, because I, I mean, I love the way that you put it. Hmm. Um, in terms of that little girl, um, I mean, can you discuss, you know, growing up? Um, and I guess, I mean, it'd be shame, right? I mean, where, where does that come from? And then, you know, how did you, how did you navigate that as a kid? Mm -hmm. So, um, definitely it has been a process and it will probably always honestly be a process. I think, you know, it's one of those things where you have a scar and you have some baggage and you just learn better how to navigate it and how to use those baggage and scars to make a difference and make an impact. You know, how do you take something really horrific that you've gone through and how do you use it to make a difference? You know, it might be the little bit of hope, me sharing my story for somebody else's life. Uh, I, you know, I think growing up, a big thing that made a difference uh, was I started judo at a really young age. And the grit involved in judo that you have to learn. I started when I was five. I was in my first tournament when I was six. And it was not an easy feat to get me to judo. I mean, we grew up poor. We didn't have money. So dad, and this is one thing that I loved about what my dad did in our growing up is that I got to try a lot of different things. And we didn't have the money, so he creatively would find ways. You know, he would talk to coaches and teachers, hey, I really want my daughter to try this. What is it? Can we work something out? He would, you know, clean things. He would do services. He would offer, you know, he would just make deals with these coaches and these teachers. And, and luckily, some of them along the way saw potential in me and they invested in me. And so getting judo was a huge one for me. And um, getting to learn how to get you literally get knocked down and have to get yourself back up. You get in pins and get submissions and chokes and arm bars and you have to learn to regroup get up and keep fighting and so i think from a really young age i think that made a huge difference in my life being in that sport particularly because i did not have an easy growing up i mean growing up poor growing up on welfare uh spending time in the foster care system i mean you nailed it there is there was and i'm better at this now but there was a whole lot of shame in that. And it was for 42 years, um, like a dirty little secret that I carried. There were things that even my husband of 20 years didn't even know about some of what had happened to me and what, it, what I had been through. And oh, to be more of an open book about it, what's crazy is for years and years and years, I felt this little voice in me saying, Sandy, share your story. Shandy, Sandy, share your story. And I remember thinking, hell no, I don't want to share that story. It's an awful story. And it's a sad story. And then the, the, the voice back to me was, but it's got a happy ending. And I kept fighting it for years. I thought, no, it's so embarrassing. And I am so ashamed and people are going to think less of me. And that voice would say, but Sandy, 
it has a happy ending. And I fought that and I fought that for years. And it is nuts what can happen though. Doing American Enjoy has been so therapeutic. I probably should have got therapy honestly a whole long time ago, but it was something we kind of just shoved under the rug and just kept going on with life. And so I have had all that. And so Ninja Warrior in some crazy way, it's what physical things that challenge you can do. It's been therapeutic for me. And I've finally gotten to the point where it's like, instead of carrying around like a shameful secret, it's something that happened to me. Instead, I'm going to carry like a badge of honor. Yeah, it's a scar. And yeah, it's baggage. But it does have a happy ending. That voice was right that had been telling me that all these years is that, yes, I have baggage and I have the scars, but I have learned to navigate the voices better and I have made it out the other side. And I've, I tell you, I'm more proud. I mean, I'm proud that I hit a buzzer and was the first mom to do it, but I am way more proud that I have been able to make a good life for myself, that I have been able to make a good life for my kids despite all that. So, I mean, my question is this, is like, why... Why growing up and, and having to navigate that? I mean, that was something that it wasn't, I mean, it was stuff that was done to you. Like it wasn't who you are. It wasn't your identity. Why do you think that anyone who goes through that similar experience, why do you think that they own that as that's their identity? When I look at it from an outside and I get it, right? I mean, I'm not, I, it's just like, that's something that happened to you. Why do you think that we own that? Then that becomes our identity for such a long time. <sighs> Man, that is a really good question. <laughs> um, you know, I'm still learning to to definitely how am I going to handle this and how am I going to see this? And I think that when you are when you are abused, it really does something to your confidence. It and it really puts you where I thought <sighs> you don't have the mental capacity to really understand what's going on. And part of you feels like, well, it was it my fault? Was it something I did? Um, so you put some blame on yourself. And then it you just, you feel like people are going to judge you. And you feel like people are going to think less of you. And I remember the when I was really early on starting to say that, yeah, I was in foster care and I was abused. And I remember one lady saying, Sandy, are you sure you want people to know that? And I thought, oh my goodness. But that's the cool thing. For the first time in my life, I felt like I didn't care anymore. Like that this was me and it's something that happened to me and it doesn't define who I am. What defines who I am is everything that I do from here on out. What am I going to do with my life? What impact am I going to have on other lives? So uh, I'm still learning to definitely navigate all of it. and um, But I do, I feel like I don't know why we carry around as guilt and shame because as I've gotten healthier, in hindsight, I think that was really ridiculous. <laughs> it was really ridiculous. <laughs> well, because I look at it and, um, you know, I, I, I just, I'm always impressed by people that overcome stuff. I don't care about somebody that, inherited a million dollars and then it turned it into two million i mean I, I i just look at it from like it's not what we have it's kind of like what we have left and so mm -hmm. that's that's the part that I look at so impressive i mean if you never overcome anything in life if stuff isn't difficult then like how much joy is there when you do these things but that's the part that i look at your story is so impressive is because of 
it is what you overcame and how the perseverance and the impact that you've made on so many lives. That's the part, that's the story, isn't it? Definitely so much more than the physical part of American Ninja Warrior. I feel like looking at this whole journey, the physical part, I'd stayed in pretty good shape and with some training and getting the skill set for Ninja physically, I was able to do that. But the hard part was the mental part of this, you know, can I learn to navigate these voices and in that moment, listen to the right voice and can I perform under pressure? And so the mental part of this game, way more difficult to navigate. And you can see that in seasons eight and nine, I went out on the second obstacle and, you know, I did still need some physical skill sets. Um, but I also had a lot more mental stuff that I still needed to learn and that I still needed to improve on. And I was so much a work in progress in that area that the, the physical part came pretty quickly. I was able to build the strength and skills, but it was the mental part of this that has been the real big journey of it for sure. And the huge accomplishment of this was mentally being able to do what I did under those circumstances, under that pressure and mentally to be able to stay in the moment. That's the part that has been the hardest part of all of this for sure. And, you know, is that how we, def how do you define mental toughness? I mean, what's it mean to you? I, I have thought about that so much, especially over the last year, you know, I dealt with some big major injuries and had some really dark days. That's why I did not compete on season 10. And just thinking about mental toughness, you know, I thought, gosh, there's so many different parts. When I think of someone who is mentally tough, what is it that I picture? What is it that I envision? And, you know, part of that that I envision um, is someone that's able to overcome obstacles, you know, overcome obstacles, overcome adversity, setbacks, those kind of things. Someone that has the grit to get knocked down and get back up. And I thought, well, that's one part of mental toughness. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, there's so many different, what's another part of mental toughness that I really admire in people that I consider mental toughness? And I think it's a people that can do it over a long period of time. You know, people set goals and they wanna get it today or they wanna get it tomorrow. Right. But what impresses me are the people that can set a goal and go five years from now, here's what I wanna do. And I'm gonna work my tail off every day in order to get that. So I think people that, once the shiny newness of a goal has worn off that have the mental strength over a long period of time to stick with a goal day in and day out when it's not fun anymore on the days when it you don't feel like doing it those people i think that's that's another part of mental toughness um and then the other part though i i started thinking about mental toughness with this american enjoy journey is being able to do all that but do it under pressure hmm. to be able to perform when the stakes are high <laughs> and on American enjoy the stakes are high. You get one shot, right. you fall in the water, your season's done. And so thinking about people that can do that under pressure, but then it comes back to this, all three of those, I thought, what's the common theme in all three of those. And it's, it's always comes back to navigating those voices, mm -hmm. whether it's, Hey, this was, this was hard. I failed at this. Can I pick myself and get myself? Which, which one are you going to listen to? Which voice? The one that said, oh, I fail. I'm going to quit and give up. Or the one that says, yeah, you fell, learn from it, get up and keep going at it. Use it as a learning. Or, you know, the, the voices when you um, are going over a long period of time and you've been at something and, you know, the voice that says, well, huh, I really, uh, this is taking too long. 
this is taking too long. Are you going to listen to that voice? You're going to listen to the one go, no, you stick this out. You keep a little bit of hope at the end of the tunnel. Something incredible will happen if you stick with it. Or the one that under pressure, which voice are you going to listen to when you're under pressure? You know, is it the one that's that that scared person that's afraid to fail? Or is it the one that this is an opportunity? This is an opportunity of a lifetime. So then they, all three of them, I thought, well, all three of those points for me come back to navigating those voices. How can we get better at navigating the voices, listening and having those conversations with ourselves that are going to help us reach our full potential? Mm-hmm. How, how has faith played a part in your life? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> it is definitely a still work in progress. You know, I grew up uh, um, going to church and um, I think I, I have had ups and downs with faith, and I think that with God, though, he's confident enough that I can question a whole lot of things and that he's confident enough that he can handle that. Um, but I grew up going to church, but then I saw a lot of people in churches that were doing things that I would consider um, evil right. and um, or people that were very church-going that were some of the most judgmental people right. that I have ever met. And so that made me really question my faith. And my faith is still to this day kind of a work in progress because I feel like there is no way that you can't believe in God. There's absolutely no way. All of the coincidences in my life that have come together, the people that have come together in my life to help me, you know, you talk about no one gets there alone. I mean, I have had a team of people since I was that little girl growing up on welfare and in the foster care system until this today that have been my support and my team that have come along in my life and have made a huge impact. And so it's like, you can't help but believe there's a higher power watching out for you and looking out for you. But I think because I've been through some really dark things, it has made me question all that. But I think, you know what? God's confident enough that I can question it and I can have those tough conversations with him and try to navigate and try to figure this out. So my faith is honestly, um, it's a work in progress too. And I'm trying to figure that part out, but I just feel like you can't help but believe in a higher power when you look at all, when I look back on all that I've been through, the timing of things, the people that have come into my life at just the right time, you just can't help believe. But I've also had some really awful things happen and some awful experiences with people that, uh, are religious. I don't know. Maybe I feel like, I have a strong faith, but I haven't figured out what people mean by religion. So mm-hmm. it's a work in progress for sure. Yeah, and I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you answering that. And the reason why mm-hmm. I ask is because I just wonder, like, that voice about saying, "Yeah, but there's a happy ending." I'm just always curious mm-hmm. about where's that voice come from, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's something I've thought about. Like, is is that the Holy Spirit? Because I have these conversations, and and that was one for sure. Is that God's nudge saying, Sandy, it has a happy ending, and me arguing with God saying, I know, but this stuff is awful, and it's deep, and it's emotional, and it's personal, and and I was still carrying around so much shame with it, and then just keep hearing that, but it's a happy ending, but it's a happy ending. So yes, and I, you know, it's just one of those things where. Um, I'm figuring it out. And is that God that all those 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 voices in my head and that Holy Spirit just saying, Sandy, you're okay. And and so many times in my life where I've navigated those and which voice am I going to listen to? So um, figuring it out, but still a work in progress for sure. You know, one of the things that we always talk about is, um, especially on here, the hinge moments, you know, that 
one moment, that one person, one event that makes all the difference in our lives. And I'm sure there's a lot you can talk about, but which one do you want to share? <laughs> oh, there are many incredible moments. They all revolve around people that have come into my life and invested their time and their energy and just believed in me. But the big, huge one, and I think probably too, because it was so young in life that it changed the course of my life is what's crazy. It was back at the Tacoma Dome, 30 years to the date of when I did American Ninja Warrior and we filmed there. So wow. you talk about coincidences and timing. I'm in full circle moments. It was unbelievable. So 30 years earlier, prior to my American Ninja Warrior, I was 12 and they had judo nationals right there in the Tacoma Dome. And after, so it was, I had been competing since I was six and I'd been doing really well and I won nationals. And I remember sitting up on that podium and I was feeling, I remember feeling really proud of myself. Here I'm holding this massive national judo champion trophy and there was no one there but my sensei. And you know, families and friends were taking pictures. They were so proud of the girls that got second and third. And I don't even have a picture from that moment. Um, but I remember getting off that podium and my sensei came up to me whew, and he said, Sandy, you could go to the Olympics. And I didn't understand it at the time, but I remember blushing and I remember feeling really embarrassed. And the reason I did, because I thought, no, 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 sensei. And this is the conversation I had in my head was that girls like me don't dream those kind of dreams. We don't dream dreams of going to the Olympics. You know, my hope is that I can get through today without getting hit or yelled at or abused. My goal for today is that maybe I can go to bed tonight and not be hungry. We don't dream dreams of going to the Olympics. And that moment for me, the next voice in my head was that Sandy, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you're currently going through, that you can dream a big dream. And so having that sensei say, Sandy, you can go to Olympics was a huge moment in my life that I have made a habit of now of dreaming big dreams. You know, it started with judo nationals and the plan was to go to the Olympics. They were gonna be introducing judo in the Olympics for the first time um, right around then. And so that was the next big dream. But unfortunately, um, my crazy chaotic life, um, dad decided we would just up and move and gave us two weeks notice and we moved to a town that had no dojo, two hour drive and there was no way we were gonna even have the vehicle nor the gas money to drive me. So my judo career came to a screeching halt right at the peak when I won in, you know, I won nationals pretty easily. And the goal now with this sensei was to get to the Olympics. And then we moved and I didn't have him and I didn't have judo and we moved to this little town. However, the lesson that I took from that was I can still dream a big dream. Now what's going to be my dream then? I don't have judo. I can't control that. And I moved to this town and I fell in love with the game of basketball. And now my new sensei was my basketball coach. And my basketball coach, same thing. He invested in me. He saw potential in me. He believed in me. And I started putting all my time and energy into basketball. And I, and I thought, what a, let's dream another big dream because sensei said I can. 
that it didn't matter where I come from. And so then my big dream for basketball was I'm going to get a division one scholarship to play at that level. And honestly, let's think about this. I'm five six. <laughs> the the odds of a five six girl going to a tiny little high school in the middle of nowhere, it was a little B school, getting a college scholarship to play Division One basketball is probably slim to none. I probably would have been more likely to win the lottery, but that was the big dream. And so, I worked at it and I worked hard at it, and I discovered I was really good and that this could happen. And my coach said the same thing to me. He said, "Sandy, you could play at the Division One level." And I thought, I could, I could. I've dreamed a big dream before and I've done crazy things that no one should be able to do. Why not do it again? And so I worked my tail off and um, day after day after day, shooting hoops, playing with anybody that would play with me. Um, and I ended up signing with Gonzaga University for a division one scholarship, full scholarship, everything paid for. This was my ticket out of poverty. This was my ticket out of a rough childhood. I could change my family tree with this sport and getting this opportunity to go get um, a great education. And I did. And it did. It changed my life. I got a teaching degree and I've been teaching for 20 years. Um, and then that leads us up to today. How crazy is this? Here four years ago, I see American Ninja Warrior and thought, what the heck? Let's dream another big dream. Because mm -hmm. I don't fit the mold of a ninja, not, but I'm a 40, now I'm 43, mother of three. Um, I don't have a gymnastics background. I don't have a rock climbing background. I don't even have a ninja gym in my city. I practice on my outdoor obstacles in the backyard, but this formula's worked for me before. Why not dream another big dream and see what can come from this? So that moment back when Sensei said, Sandy, you can go to the Olympics, it changed my frame of mind that it really didn't matter what I'd been through, what I'd gone through, what I was currently going through, I could still dream a big dream. So here I was back at the Tacoma Dome 30 years later, dreaming another big dream because of those little words that my sensei said to me when I was 12, that, that got me in the right frame of mind of what I could do with my life and the, and the change that I could make in my life. I, I, um, I'm pausing here. There's a couple of podcasts I listened to in the, the, um, uh, MCs, I mean, they kind of jump in and interrupt. I didn't want to interrupt that story. But so you moved two hours away. I mean, that must have been devastating because that was your that was your outlet, right? Like that was your release, and you took. I guess there's just so many facets there. I mean, what you're standing there. It was just you and your sensei. I mean, so was there even was there a lot of joy in that moment, or how long did that one last? <sighs> You know, when Sensei said you could go to the Olympics, there was definitely like this excitement and this joy, you know, because here I didn't have any family there, but it cut, but I had him and yeah. he was my person and he was my person there to celebrate because I think that's a part of success too, is that you want other people to be on the journey with you. Yeah. You know, to you have people when you fall down to be there to help pick yourself up and you have that support system. But a big part of that is also when you succeed, yeah. to have people there that are excited and for you and happy for you. And so having him there, um, it was kind of like a double-edged sword. Like it was like sad that I didn't have anybody else like all these other people, but I had him. And so I guess kind of looking at what do I have, let's look at that. 
not what I what I don't sure. have. Let's look at what I do have. And I have this sensei here who has invested in me so much of his time, his energy, taught me life lessons that I will take with me forever, that I have taken with me forever. Um, so to try to look at that positive part right. of it rather than the other part of so it. So then so then he I mean you leave. I mean you're 2 hours away. That's 2 weeks later thereabouts. Well we well we yeah, so we moved. So I had one nationals and it was that summer um that dad basically said, "Hey, you got 2 weeks, pack your stuff up." We got this tiny little trailer. There was still 3 of us kids left, and he said, "You each get one little corner of this trailer. We're leaving in 2 weeks." And mom wasn't coming with us. And so we sat talk about a story. We sat in the driveway in this car with this tiny little trailer with a few things because really it was a, we didn't have much in our, in that area. And he turns and he looks at us and he says, okay, so at the time I'm 12, my older brother is 15 and my younger brother is nine. And it's the three of us, our dog and my dad. And my dad says to me, all of us, let's take a vote. Do you guys want to move somewhere where it's warm all the time? Or do you want to move somewhere where there's three seasons? So this gives you a glimpse into how crazy our life was. And so at that time, my oldest brother, again, is 15, decides, hey, I want to go somewhere where it's sunny all the time. And then I raise my hand, I, I want to go somewhere where there's four seasons. I like the four seasons. So my younger brother, who is nine, is the decision maker. It's all in on this. Him. He's the tiebreaker. All on him. Nine. Yeah. Dr. Rob Bell, he's nine. And so he decides, oh, I think I'd like to go somewhere four seasons. So we, my dad starts the car and we were in Tacoma at the time and we head across Washington state. We go through Cheney, we go through Spokane. Nobody will sell my dad anything because he has no money. We're sleeping in the car. We get a loaf of bread each day with bologna. We'd eat sandwiches sleeping in the car through this whole thing. Nobody will sell him anything. He has no money. He finally gets up to this tiny little town. He says, well, we're just going to head up to Canada then. Maybe someone will sell me something. So we're actually through Spokane heading up to um, Canada. And we go across this little bitty town, 500 people, middle of nowhere, <laughs> literally. And someone is so desperate to sell this little trailer um, on their property that with nothing down, somehow they're like, please take it. And so they end up uh, selling that to dad. So we have this trailer um, that we got in this tiny little town. And boy, oh boy, you talk about a cultural shock. I mean, they, they, there was 500 people in this town. And I graduated with, um, I think there was like 16 of us in that class. So cultural shock and part of the craziness of where we grew up. But it was just ripped. It was like I had this dream in judo and Sensei was like willing to put in the time and energy. And I'm sure my dad did not have the money to pay him for these lessons, but he was willing to invest in me and to have that come to like this screeching halt. And then here we're in this little town. The closest dojo is back in Spokane, which was like a two hour drive. So that wasn't going to happen. Um, but then you talk about another person coming into my life. And that's when my basketball coach came into my life and said, Hey, you can dream another big dream, Sandy. Let's go. Ha let's get you a college scholarship to play Division One basketball. And so then, my other question is this: is because I love that. Um, <laughs> you know how hard? Because I mean, you took all that energy, everything you had from judo, and then just threw it right into basketball, right? Mm -hmm. Do you what do you what do you remember about your actual training of that? About how hard you worked at basketball then? Because you hadn't played it even growing up, right? 
Well, I start. I didn't start playing basketball until fourth grade, okay. and so and I really we had no money, so the only basketball I played was the after school little program they had, right. and that was it. And so that was my exposure to basketball. But I will say judo because it is such a foundational sport. You learn how to move your body, the right. body awareness, the balance, the coordination. I think it translates well to whatever sport you want to pick up. And then yeah. just the mental part of judo, you got to be tough. Yep. <laughs> you got to, you talk about being mental tough. Judo makes you mentally tough. So I think because of that foundation, I was able to pick up other sports. And I was a multi sport athlete. I never did specialize in just one, but I did really fall in love with the game of basketball. I mean, it was just a different sport. It was one that you did with people. So there was more of a social aspect. Judo, there was some of that, but it was really, I mean, it's you on the on the mat fighting by yourself. Right. Where basketball, the appeal was, it was like, this is a team sport. And that the things that we could accomplish together with other people and that camaraderie um, and that social piece that I really needed. But then also just the examples that people had brought into my life of going, you know, what you're growing up with was not normal because that was normal to me. That was completely normal um, to see the yelling and the hitting and the violence. That was normal. I, I thought that was normal. So to be able to have sports bring other coaches and people into my life and seeing their families and their examples, I thought, wow, that's not normal. <laughs> I mean, my coach and his wife were such an example of what a loving couple was and what how they treated each other, um, how they cared for other people and invested in them. And ooh, so it makes me emotional talking about them, but what an example. So so basketball brought into my life so many good things besides putting a basketball through a hoop. Um, the people, the relationships, the opportunities it brought um, were huge. And so I did, I worked my tail off though, but honestly, I didn't really ever want to go home. So this was okay. You know, I'd, I'd find anybody and everybody who would play basketball and I just played all the time. Um, you know, we'd play at school. If there was a minute at lunch, I'd try to beg somebody to go into the gym and play basketball with me on the weekends. Let's go down to the park and let's play basketball. And, you know, and I was playing against guys because it's sometimes hard to find the girls, right. but I just played whenever I could, or I would just play by myself and I would shoot and shoot and shoot and do drills, um, whether it was by myself or with other people. Um, but I did, I took all that um, energy that I was putting into judo and thought, let's put it into basketball. <clears throat> I, one of the questions I ask a lot of people, right, is um, anybody who's reached uh, success, those that have willed themselves and had those around them and have helped them, like, like yourself. Mm -hmm. um, an interesting thing is there were people or, that told them that you can't do it. Like, that's mm -hmm. a dumb idea. Like, that dream's too big. Like, not not you, right? Doesn't happen here. <laughs> was there anybody who told you that, or was it just your whole situation in life that was telling you that message? Because I, I think the other part's true, right? You had to have sensei. You had to have the basketball coach. If it wasn't for mm -hmm. them, the story would be different. Mm -hmm. But was there anybody that actually said like you can't do it? There were definitely moments. I mean, I think, you know, growing up how I did, I think a lot of that was me saying, you can't right. do this. And so I think as a child, it was some of that because I had so, you know, and then just hearing, um, you know, that you're not good enough and all of those things growing up that were so damaging. Where did, where did, you, where did you hear that? I heard it at home okay. for sure. You know, those, those messages that... Um, you know, 
that what you say to a child plays in their head over and over and over again. And so I definitely heard those messages um, growing up of not being good enough and um, among, among many other painful things. And so, but the flip side of that is that you can also be the other influence in people's lives and have them hear the other recording of all the positive things. And so I guess I've really tried to listen and focus on those things. Um, I have definitely um, had people, like especially when um, I remember in high school, I blew out my ACL and people telling me that, Sandy, you're never, because my dream was still, people knew I wanted to play at the Division One level. And what year and were you I remember in when high school? I blew my knee out. That was my junior year. Oh, wow. So a tough time. It was a really hard time. And luckily, I had done my visit with at GU, and they had signed me before, but I completely blew out my knee. And I had many, many people saying, Sandy, you're never going to make it back from that. You're never going to be as fast. Um, and that, for me, was how how I was going to be able to play at that level because I wasn't as tall. I had to be faster. And people saying, you're never going to be able to play at that level now. There's no way you're coming back from that ACL. That's major surgery. And um, I did. I had people tell me that. And I just thought, no, because you know what? I've been here before. I've been knocked down way worse than an ACL injury. I've been through a whole lot of crap in life. And I have always risen up. And I guess that for me was like, I'm going to go prove you all wrong. That not only can I play at the Division One level, but I can play despite this injury. I'm going to rehab. And I was crazy. And I remember miles and miles that I rode on my bike and people would see me 20 miles out of town riding my bike doing my therapy because at first that was all that I could do once I got out and people drive by and like why are you this far out of town on this country road in the middle of nowhere and it was because I had been knocked down and I knew I had the confidence because I thought I've been there done that I'm gonna rise up above this and I actually found joy in the thought of proving all those people wrong let me show you what can happen and i've been here and i've done it and you just don't know but i'm going to show you that i can i absolutely can go to the digimon level and still play um so i actually i don't know morbidly maybe found a little joy in that like let me show you this i mean because i i've loved this conversation i love the little intricacies of it and the, um i mean my question is this is what what message would you tell somebody listening to this that that you want them to know in terms of mental toughness or hope and what what do you want to share with them oh man that's hard to sum up in one thought uh i would say anybody listening i hope that they can take bits and pieces of my story whatever uh they can maybe relate to in some way Uh, You know, I think all of us at some point are going to face adversity. We're going to face struggles. We're going to face tough times. It doesn't matter whether you grow up like I did or if you grew up in a wonderful, loving, caring family, that it is inevitable in life that obstacles are going to happen. And when they do, um, we have to have the mental toughness um, to get through those. And mental toughness, it's not, I don't think, something someone's just born with. 
You know, I think definitely what's changed for me is putting myself out there um, has taken my mental toughness to a whole new level because American Ninja Warrior, I tell you, it's challenging physically, um, but mentally so challenging. But when you do things in life that are challenging physically and mentally, uh, you will come out the other end better and stronger. And so one thing that I hope people see that no matter where you come from, no matter what you've been through, um, that all of us will benefit from dreaming a really, really big dream. Don't let anyone tell you it's too big of a dream. Dream a big dream. Because I will tell you, even if I never did hit the buzzer, the journey and the growth that I've had over the last four years, that's what's made all the difference. That's what's made all the difference. But it didn't happen overnight. And I think people want to dream a big dream and then they want it to happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I want to tell people, yes, absolutely dream a big dream, but give it the time it needs. And in pursuing that big dream, you never know where it's going to lead. Sometimes it might lead to that big dream. And sometimes life might veer you off on a little different path, but you got to take the first step. You've got to dream that big dream, take the first step, take the next step, continue to take those steps and see what might come from it. Because this journey, I mean, I set that goal to be the first mom to hit a buzzer. And to have that happen has been incredible, but also all the little side roads that it's taking me on. Who knew I'd be here doing a podcast with you? I mean, all the little side roads and how impactful this journey was going to be. I didn't know that was going to come from this. I didn't know that I was going to change me inside and give me the strength and confidence to share this. So if people can find a little hope in this, because that's what's got me through some of the darkest days of my life, little tiny bit of hope that's at the end of the tunnel and you keep taking one step at a time and eventually that day comes. And so that little bit of hope is so powerful and we can give it to people and we can take it away. So we really got to handle it with a lot of respect in how we interact with people and how we can be that hinge moment for other people. We can be the person that helps them get to where they want to go. Um, and our words and our actions can be really powerful. And I want people to use that for good and dream their own big dream. Thank you for putting the hinge in there too. I appreciate that. <laughs> now, Sandy, thank you so much for this story. Um, you know, I'm working on the next book right now and I don't want to timestamp this, but I mean, your story is going to be in there. So thank you. Oh yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Whew. What a journey it's been and to be here with you is incredible. And I hope that me sharing uh, will touch some lives out there and make a difference. And it makes all that I've been through uh, seem like it has, um, it has a purpose. And now I've taken my, you know, passion for health and fitness. And now I have a purpose in life, which is so much more powerful than just a passion in life. And yeah. it's given me my why. And it's why I get emotional and why I cry when I talk about this. Because the thought that maybe something I say or do or share in my life uh, could give somebody their hinge moment or could give somebody that little bit of hope that they need uh, to keep going on is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And I hope that it does. Where do you want people to uh, follow you? Sure. So I have um, Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Zimpossible, Z-I-M-M. Zimpossible. A high school teacher came up with that nickname and it stuck. And then um, I just have a public American Enjoyer Facebook page. And I'm currently working on a website. I've got someone coming that's way smarter than me and tech savvy uh, tomorrow that's going to help me get that up and running. So hopefully that will be there for people as well. I think I have an idea of what might be that image on that front page. <laughs> Do you? <ya? laughs> yeah. 
That's awesome. Are you going to share it with me? There's a secret. Oh, man, it's, it's, it's holding on to the wall, you know? And, and oh, yeah. That, that the flex. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> the Zim flex. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.